Stand, uh, remain standing just for the reading of the word. We're going to start a series that's going to go through the entire month of January. It is uh, the rapture, uh, and we're going to be looking at the true meaning of the word, which is harpazo. And in First Thessalonians chapter four, thirteen, four through, uh, I'm sorry, verses thirteen through eighteen, we're going to be reading today. The word of our Lord, but I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore comfort one another with these words. You may be seated. If you look, I have put in red letters the word caught up. That word is in the Greek, harpazo. Jerome in the year 382, translated, he was basically commissioned by the Pope to translate the Greek New Testament into Latin. And he translated the word harpazo into the word lapture, uh, rapture. And um, I want to just say this, the, the translation of the Greek Bible into Latin there was a great work of scholarship. What it did was, Latin was the language of the intellectuals. So it was not the language of the common people. So what it basically did, it, it, it brought us into what really the spiritual aspect of the Dark Ages. It led us into the spiritual uh, of the Dark Ages where now only the elites, the clergy, who were educated in Latin were able to understand the scriptures, which meant that the scriptures became hidden to most of the people for uh, about a thousand years until Gutenberg uh, invented the printing press and then began to reproduce uh, the Bible in different languages. So, you know, just what happens is, you know, you understand this about, this is something with elitism. You have political elitism. It's very, very clear in our country. The politically elite, they're the ones who are running the country, and they feel that you are not smart enough to take care of your own health care. You are not smart enough to take care of your own finances and money, right? They believe that you're not smart enough to take care of your own children, that they have the right to make all those decisions. Well, the same thing goes with the spiritual elitism. Spiritual elitism, when the Roman Catholic Church, again, had the Bible in Latin, they could control the masses, okay, by basically telling them all sorts of things that were untrue of the scripture. And you have the manipulation of people. That's the, the, how the Roman Catholic Church became so powerful and controlled kings and monarchs for about a thousand years up until, again, the, printing of the, print, uh, the development of the printing press, the production of, um, of the scriptures in different languages, and then the Reformation. So um, that's just something to understand. So I'm not real keen on the word rapture, but that's basically what everybody uh, in, you know, in the world today, and that's how they understand 
the harpazo, but the proper term is harpazo, and for the most part, over the next month, I'm going to be using the word harpazo far more than I'm going to be using the word rapture. So let me give you a little picture here, some of you have seen this before, of what the rapture will look like. And I'm going to use some, some videos over the course of the next few weeks, but this is a picture of what the rapture will look like, or something that it will look like in a church, if there was a church service when it occurred. Jesus Christ is coming back for his church. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 24, verse 42, Watch therefore, for you do not know the hour your Lord is coming. I want you to know, church, that Jesus Christ could come this month. Or he might come next week. Or he could even come... get the picture? I, I don't believe that that uh, video, well, I guess it depends on what church you're in, because I believe there are going to be a whole lot of people sitting in churches who are going to be left. Leonard Ravenhill, one of, my, one of my teachers, you want to read some great books, read Leonard Ravenhill. He was a prophet in a New Testament context uh, in to the age that we live in. He believed that only 4% of people in churches were actually, are actually saved. Now I believe that it's, it's higher than that. It's probably 6%. I, I don't know. I don't know. But I'll tell you, I've been doing this for 40 years, and I've seen a lot of people, and still see a lot of people who come out of the, in and out of this church who I wonder, I wonder if they're saved, if they've truly been born again and have the Holy Spirit within them. So um, that's, uh, you know, that's just from the pastor's heart. I pray for you all, and I pray for you all to truly come to true repentance and salvation in Jesus Christ. And if you've been playing church, I pray that you would stop playing church and you would come to know Jesus, because that's what Christianity is. It's knowing, it's knowing Jesus. It's not religion. It's not Sunday services. It's not going through the motions of clapping your hands, lifting your hands, kneeling, or whatever. It's coming to know Him. And when you come to know Him, you will come to know His love, and you will come to love Him. I was watching um, the second episode of The Chosen. I've only gotten to the second episode. And most of you are through it already. But in the second episode, when Jesus comes to Mary Magdalene's house, a beautiful picture of this woman, she invites the blind, right? Uh, she's inviting the people that nobody else would invite. And Jesus knocks on the door. And when she opens the door, I just tell you, my eyes immediately welled up. Now, I know it's, it's a movie. I know it's an actor. But my eyes immediately welled up. I love him. I love him. And uh, that's, what, that's what Christianity is. So we get caught up, we get caught up and just, we, we play religion. And, and evangelical churches are notorious of this. We follow teachers instead of following Jesus. We listen to far more voices outside of ourselves than the voice of the Lord. It's knowing him, it's loving him. And, and that's really what the harpazo is about. The harpazo is about, hey, you've met him and you have him in your heart. Well, don't you look forward to him? seeing him in the flesh, right? 
So what we're going to do over the, la uh, over the next month, we're going to talk about what is the rapture, who will be raptured, will children of unbelievers be raptured? That's a question that comes to me a lot. When will it happen? What will happen to those left behind? What will believers experience when they are taken away to heaven? Will non-believers still have time to repent and be saved? And those are some of the questions. There will probably be some others along the way. So today what I want to I talk about is really the, the experience, the experience of the rapture. And the first thing I want to share with you, it's a day of blessing. Titus chapter 2.13, he calls it the blessed hope. Looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. The Spirit speaking through Paul, the, the blessed hope. The word blessed is makarios. And it's the same word that's used when Jesus um, gave us the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, because they will be filled. And Macarius speaks about it's a supreme blessing. It's a blessing that, that essentially really only comes from God. It's a blessing of privilege. It's a blessing of abundance. It's, it's extreme happiness. So when you look at the concept of the harpazo being the blessed hope, it is an experience that is really unprecedented. It is a, an experience that is just absolutely amazing and incredible. I mean, the words that, you know, that we would try to use to, you know, to express it. It will be the ultimate experience of joy, a, a, a joy, a peace, a thrill, unlike anything that we have ever experienced in this life. Now, just the multiplication, you can think about the most joyful moment in your life, the most peaceful moment in your life, the most thrilling moment in your life, and I, I would say multiply it by numbers, probably, that, that we can't even uh, uh, imagine. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9, we have, but it is written, eye has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. And you know, really, you understand that the, the harpazo is the beginning of that. It's, it's, not, it's not a beginning and end. It is just the beginning of entering into these incredible, amazing, wonderful things that God has for us for the rest of eternity. The second, it's a day of hope. Right, as we just looked at the blessed hope in 1 Thessalonians 4.13, but I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest your sorrow as others have no hope. Now, now, hope is, is a feeling of expectation. It's a desire for a certain thing to happen. It's, it's anticipation of, of, of pleasure. You know, remember the song by Carly Simon? Anticipation? Anticipation. You know how we used to sing it when we were younger? Constipation. <laughs> but uh, anticipation, it, you know, just your kids, maybe you. And I have to say, man, I'm a kid at heart. This Christmas, looking forward to Christmas. You know, I start, I start playing, I start playing Christmas, Christmas music in October, 
And I just love the whole, the whole experience coming, you know, coming up to Christmas, but with anticipation, with excitement, looking forward, right? I see my, my grandkids, how excited they were, right, Christmas Eve. You know, how they excited as the, as the days, you know, progressed through December towards Christmas. That is the picture of, you know, an anticipation, an expectation. For 20, uh, essentially for 2,000 years, Christians have been looking with expectation to the harpazo of the church. So look at Acts chapter 1, verse 9 through 11. When Jesus ascended into heaven, it says, Now when he had spoken these things, while they watched, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly towards heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, those are angels, who also said, men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up to heaven? And here's, here's again the angels making the promise. You're going to see as we go through this, Jesus made many promises that he will return. But right here, this same Jesus who was taken from you into heaven will come in like manner, right? He was taken up in the clouds. He's going to come back, right? He comes back. We meet him in the clouds. will come uh, in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. So here was right there at, you know, when Jesus ascended, you have this promise of the harpazo placed in the hearts, right, of the believers. And through the word of God and through the Holy Spirit, it has been reiterated and repeated to us over the course of the last 2,000 years. So we live with this, with this hope. We live with this expectation that the Lord is going to return and that he is going to take us to be with him forever and ever. And we live, we live with this realization, right? We're not home yet, right? This is, it, this is not our home. We are pilgrims passing through. The closer you get to Jesus, the more you realize this is not your home. And the further you are away from Jesus, the more at home you're going to feel in this world. You ever see some people in the church? They're really comfortable in this world. They don't want to let go. They're clinging to it. The closer you get to him, the deeper your relationship becomes, the more you're going to long to be with him, and the more you're going to feel like you're a stranger here, that you don't fit in. Right? Don't you feel that? You're around people. Their values are not your values, right? Their words are not your words. The things that they are caught up in, they're, they're, they're not of God. And you feel like you're a stranger here. You feel like you're out of, out of place. They don't speak your language. They don't have your values. They don't have your beliefs. Number three, a day of homecoming. 1 Thessalonians 4.17, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. That's homecoming. Harpazo is, is homecoming. You know, if, if you've been away at any time from your family, you have kids who have been away, right? This, this Christmas, um, our kids came home, all but, but one of our kids. Uh, Chrissy is out uh, in Kentucky with her, uh, with her kids. She's had a baby. But um, when our, our, our kids come home, it's such an incredible thing. 
you know, just uh, Rachel and Frank and the grandkids and their, you know, their spouses. It was just such a, such a great time, a time of great joy. When my daughter Chrissy was at college, one year she, she called us and she said, I won't be home for Christmas. We were heartbroken. And then on Christmas Eve, we get a knock on the door. And who's there but Chrissy? And I just remember that, just taking her in my arms. You know, the, the joy of seeing my daughter. My daughter had, you know, had come home. And homecoming is a, is a great thing. But we, we are going to have a homecoming. The Harpazo is a homecoming. And we are going to come home to our Father. We are going to come home to our Savior. And we are going to come home to our family in heaven. And we will be with our heavenly family forever and ever. And that is all those, all those who have come to believe in the Lord from Pentecost to the Harpazo, that is called the church age. Pentecost is the birthday of the church. And then the Harpazo is the removal of the church from the world. So those who are saved during the tribulation, they are not of the church. They are not of the bride of Christ. They are not essentially the, the ecclesia who has uh, been called out okay, to be the bride of Christ. So everybody from Pentecost to the Harpazo, the church age, we're all going home. Jesus said that he's actually preparing a home for us. In John chapter 14, verses 1 through 3, let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. And in my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. He is preparing that place. He's preparing a home, just, just like We'll look at this next week. Just like the groom in the Jewish wedding, he's engaged to his bride like Joseph was to Mary. He would go and he would prepare a home for her. And then he would come back for her. And then he would take her with him to their new home. Well, the Lord has been preparing a place for us for 2,000 years. Could you imagine how incredible that's going to be? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Again, that is, that is another Harpazo passage. Now, most people think it's, it's, you know, 1 Corinthians 15 and 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. There, there are multiple other places that you will find the Harpazo. The fourth, a day of comfort. In verse 18 of 1 Thessalonians 4, therefore comfort one another with these words. The word comfort, parakaleo, what does it sound like? Paraclete, same word. Same word that Jesus uses in John chapter 14, 15 of the Holy Spirit, the comforter, right? Here is a, a word that we, we are to be comforting one another with these words, looking forward to the ultimate comfort. The word parakaleo, to encourage one another, Encourage one another with these words. Exhort one another with these words. Kipling, the writer, the author, the Jungle Book, he said, life is a painful thing. I find that, that life has seasons, just like our weather has seasons. Right? There are summers and there are falls, there are winters, there are springs, and as a pastor, you know, you go through these seasons with people. There are times where there are great seasons of joy. Marriage, the birth of babies, you know, just the 
birthdays and the celebrations, but there are also seasons of pain. Most of the time, the seasons of joy are not shared with the pastor. It's mostly the seasons of pain. That's okay. That's okay. But I know that many of you, you're going through painful times. There are people here who are experiencing physical pain. I want you just to, to think of this. I use, I, I, you know, I use this word here for comfort because when the harpazo happens, we're going to be ushered in to the ultimate comfort. It's the, the end of, of pain. It's the end of stress. It's the end of worry. It's the end of tension. You, you know, I see people trying to, I mean, however they do it, People trying to think, they run away, they think they can escape from this stuff. And you know that it's, it's, it's here. Wherever you go, you're going to take it with you. It's one of the, one of the sad things. So people, they run from church to church, you know, looking for the perfect church. And every time they come to the church, they spoil it because they're imperfect. But the idea here is we carry, we carry with us this, right, this stress, this tension. And it'll be ultimately gone at the harpazo. We will be in a place of, of ultimate comfort. The fifth, it's a day of healing. So in, in 1 John chapter 3, verse 2, Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but I, uh, we know that when he is revealed, again, this is the harpazo, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. So I want you to, to see the words, we shall be like him. At, at the harpazo, we are going to be transformed to be like Jesus. Now, that does not mean that we will be gods. We're not Mormons. Okay, Mormons believe when we, Mormons die, they all become gods. We're not gods. Okay, there's one God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord our God is one. We will not be gods. But when it says we will be like him, and it's talking about our glorification. So the, the glorification, ultimately, we will have bodies like Jesus. Now I want you to think of Jesus' resurrected body. Because he was able to move through space. I mean, he, he was, they, were, they were hiding in the building, and Jesus came through. Right, he didn't knock on the door, and suddenly appeared to them, and they were they were blown away, right? And he said this to them, you know, you haven't seen a ghost. He said, a ghost doesn't have a body. He had a body, and to prove to them that he had a body, right? What did he do? He ate. What did he eat? He ate fish and something else. He ate the honeycombs. You know those honeycombs that you have. You you know you you put them in the in the bowl and you. Put, a honeycomb, right? And it, it's, you know, honey is sweet. And he ate, he had, and it didn't fall through him. Right? He ate it. So we were going to have, we're going to have glorified bodies like Jesus. And, and those are bodies that, again, they don't degenerate. They don't hurt. They don't pain. They don't get sick. They, 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 they don't get disease. Let me just say this to you. I believe that the glorification also affects our mind. We're going to have glorified minds. What does that mean? It doesn't mean that we're going to be omniscient and know all things, but a glorified mind is, you know how your mind wanders? Right now, some of you, 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 you you're, you're looking at the football game this afternoon, 
Some of you, you got a roast in the oven, and you're, you're, you're thinking about the hamburger you're going to be eating at Burger King when you leave here. And some of you are sitting there and thinking about the snow you have to shovel when you leave here. Right? Our minds just, just wander. Well, our minds are no longer going to wander. Our minds are going to be glorified. We're going to be just, we're going to be laser beam focused. Fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of your faith. We're going to be laser beam focused on Jesus, and our minds aren't going to be all over the place. We're not going to be distracted. Again, we're not going to be worried. We're not going to be looking back. We're not going to be looking forward because we're going to be living in this eternal moment in in eternity. And I, I believe that the glorification also talks about the spirit. Our spirits, right, again, can become distracted. Our spirit essentially is the part of us that connects with God. So it makes us different than the animals. Okay, people gather to worship God. The animals don't. Say this, when, when I see the squirrels gather in my front yard into a circle and hold up their hands and begin to praise the Lord, I will know they have spirits. They don't. Your dog doesn't have a spirit. Those, those, some of you who are so in love with your dogs think they do. <laughs> my wife being one of you. No, the, the, the spiritual part of us, the spirit is the part that connects with God. God is spirit. And when God comes into our lives and he gives us the new birth, the spirit, his spirit indwells us and he brings our spirit to life. And now we are able to connect with God. We're able to commune with God. And I believe, again, as, as we have that, that living spirit within us, and I'm not talking about the Holy Spirit, I'm talking about our spirit, we still, at times, don't have, right? We don't have perfect communion with God. We get distracted, right? There are times where, you know, we're just out of tune, tune with God. Well, that's never going to happen. After the harpazo, we're going to have this, this perfect spiritual harmony between us and the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now, let me just come back to our bodies for a second. The harpazo is going to be the ultimate healing of our bodies. Amen. Ultimate, <laughs> ultimate healing of our bodies. <laughs> So look, look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 50 through 55, another harpazo passage. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I'll tell you a mystery, and here is, here is the mystery. We shall not all sleep. We shall not all, right, sleep. It's talking about death. An entire generation will not die of Christians but we shall be changed. There is the harpazo. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, right? Twinkling of an eye, a millisecond. At the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible, right? This, this thing is corruptible, right? It's, it's, you, could, you could be really into health and eating all the good foods and exercising, we're still in a state where we're degenerating. Right? Our cells are, are, are dying. Really, from the age of about 25 on, your body starts to lose cells. And you are basically in a state of, of degeneration. And some of you, right, look men, right? Right, there used to be beautiful sandy shores. And, right? No, there used to be, now they're sandy shores. There used to be rolling waves. Something like that. Something like that. So notice it says, for this uh, corruptible must put on incorruption and this mortal must put on immortality. 
So when this corruptible has put on incorruption and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? You think of people, if the Lord was to come today, and I believe, I believe he very well can, people dealing with cancer, people dealing with heart disease, people dealing with arteriosclerosis, dealing with liver issues or kidney issues or spleen issues. And all of a sudden, instantaneously, their body is glorified and they are completely healed. And they're in the presence of the Lord. That is the, the, the ultimate, it is the ultimate healing. All sickness, death, illness is gone. Now Philippians chapter 1 verse 6 says, being confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. But here is, here is God. Sometimes when I, when I write out my psalms of praise in the morning to the Lord, I uh, will just praise him for being the great divine artist. Because God is an artist. Every one of you is a piece of his artwork. Besides nature, you know, besides the, the cosmos and the universe, every one of you is, is a, a piece. You are a piece of God's artwork. That uh, one of the men that I, I do some work with outside the church, he told me his wife over the holidays went through this just totally kind of dehumanizing episode upon herself, saying, I'm useless, I'm no good, I'm worthless, you know, my family doesn't love me, you know, I have no value. And, you know, I said to him, you need to affirm to her that she has been created in the image and likeness of God. Now, I know this, how much he loves her. I know also her children love her. But it's, it's her, the outside, right? Sometimes the in-laws can become uh, outlaws. She went through some, you know, the attacks. You're, you know, you're not good enough for them. You're not, and she started to just, just again, dehumanize herself beat herself down, and I said, you know, you've got to affirm as her husband and speak those words over her life that, that she is wonderfully and marvelously made. That's what the scripture says. Created a little lower than the angels and crowned with glory and honor. Right? Created in the image, created in the likeness of God. But you are, you are God's masterpiece. But you're not finished. <laughs> He's not finished with you yet. You go, to, you go to Italy and um, you go to some of the museums and you see Michelangelo, right? You can, you can see the David, right? That was a, a finished work. Or the Moses is a finished work. The Sistine Chapel is a finished work. But a lot of his works, you go and you see that, you see a, a torso without arms. Or you see a torso without a head and without legs. He never got to finish the work. Well, that's where some of us are right now. We're unfinished. I realize that very strongly about myself. God is not finished with me. We need to cooperate with him in this life. We yield to him to allow him to, to sculpt us, to allow us, you know, him to, to shape us. But the harpazo is when, you know, the, the, the artist, he steps back and, and he says, it's done. Right? He steps back from his work of art and he, and he says, voila, 
right? It's, it's finished. That's harpazo. We will be perfect. We will be a finished work of perfection when the harpazo happens. Isn't that great? Complete. In spirit, in soul, in mind, in, in body. Okay, number six. A day of surprise. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 1 through 10. But concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you. For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. Right? The thief doesn't knock. Hey, I'm coming over at 10 o'clock tonight. Right? He comes unexpectedly. For when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. This is talking about the surprise of the unbelieving world. You look at the, the unbelieving world, they're just going through the motions. They're not living with the expectation that, that Jesus could come right now, or Jesus, God, it would be wonderful for you to come right now. It would be wonderful to come when I'm in deep prayer and just in the very fellowship of the Spirit. Don't come when I'm sitting on the toilet. <laughs> the, the, the unspiritual world is just going through the motions. They're... they're eating and they're drinking, right? And they're getting married and and all of a sudden what happens is the harpazo comes and it's a huge surprise to the unbelieving world. They're totally caught off guard. They're, they're totally unprepared. I just want to say, take that to heart. Because I do see people in the churches living exactly that way. They, they're totally unprepared. They're just, they're just going through the, you know, the motions. So he goes on and he says, But you, brethren, are not in darkness, so that the day should overtake you as a thief. You are all sons of the light and sons of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. Therefore let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a, a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God did not appoint us to wrath. You know what happens after the harpazo? Wrath. So you want to read, read Revelation chapter 6 through Revelation chapter 18. It's wrath. And it's, it's the wrath of the devil, but then the wrath of God. It's the wrath of man, and it's also the wrath of, of God. I don't think it's as bad as hell, but it's a hell on earth. The one, the one advantage over hell, those people during the tribulation period who were left, they'll have the opportunity still to repent. And there's no repentance in hell. There's no second chance. So that's one, one, one positive. But, I mean, you read it, just say this, that you read the book of the Revelation, and I, I believe there's a lot of figurative language. I think that the book of the Revelation has about 300 keys, which if you understand the rest of Scripture, especially the Old Testament, you will understand the keys, and you'll be able to open them and be able to grasp on what's being said. 
But I believe that there are some things that are very literal to be taken in the book of the Revelation. And the book of the Revelation pretty much says that during the tribulation, 50% of the earth's population will be wiped out by war, by disease, by famine, by death. 50%. That's about 4 billion people right now. That's sobering to think about something so, so horrible. And you, you know, we look, at, we look at disasters that have just happened in the last week in, you know, in Japan, right? You saw this, this, you know, again, this horrible earthquake. You see people in the thousands, right? Or what's happening in Israel right now or the Ukraine, thousands of people who are, are being killed. I, I don't know about you, it, it, it cuts my heart. I think, about, I think about myself, I think about my family, my, my children, my grandchildren, I think about you to go through something like it. Imagine, you know, the, the horror of what will be going on during uh, the tribulation period. So, again, what is said here, God has not appointed us wrath. That's an important verse because that verse points me to that the harpazo happens before the tribulation or right at the beginning of the tribulation. I'm going to go through that in, in detail in upcoming weeks. It says, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. Again, that, that is the, the whole essence of the harpazo. We live with Jesus now. We love Jesus. And then if the harpazo happens, right, we go to be with him forever. So just say this. We live in... These are, I think, very interesting times. I think they're, they're times of terror, but they're also times of, I think, tremendous excitement. So I, I find them very exciting times. I think that we're, we're privileged to be living in this, uh, in this time. You talk to people in the church, outside the church, there is this expectation something really terrible is about to happen. I don't know if you, if you saw, I saw some reporters over the holidays, um, New Year's, interviewing people about what are the expectations for 2024. And it was, it was pretty much like 75% of them were saying they were thinking that some really bad things are coming on the world. And these are, these are, not, these are not believers. So there's, a, there's definitely a, a, a fear in the air you see people prepping. I, I, I saw this on TV. Uh, the rich people, very, very rich, are building these um, underground bomb shelters. Now, I, I'm, I'm talking like you could build a bomb shelter in your backyard, which you probably can in New Jersey because you don't have enough space to be able to build it. You could build a nice bomb shelter in your backyard for about $40,000. You live out in Pennsylvania, you live in Montana. These people are building bomb shelters that cost millions and millions of dollars. They're like mansions under the earth. And the companies that build these bomb shelters, they're booked. And right now, they can't get to the people who want them for years ahead. So why are these people doing this? What, what do these people know or what are they anticipating? You see, a lot of, a lot of people look, and I think, I think I've, I've, we've done prepping seminars here. I think being prepared is very important. You get a blizzard this year, knocks out your electricity, what are you going to do to stay warm? 
You're not able to go to the food store, the trucks can't come in. Do you have enough food to be able to sustain you for a week or two? And I, I have no, no problem with that. But I see, I see preppers, even in the church, preppers, they're spending more time focused on preparing for some type of cataclysmic event and they are preparing to meet God. And again, I, listen, I, I believe in preparation. I believe in prayer. I believe in physical preparation. I believe in, in, in being prepared, you know, and being able to defend yourself. I, I believe that, you know, having, you know, having food and water, I think that's a good thing. Having a game plan, I think all of that's important in the time we live in. But if, if you think that you're going to be able to pray, I mean, just, look. I'll give you a hypothetical. So there's a lot of talk about nuclear war with China, with Russia. If we got into a nuclear war and you had a hole in the ground, you got to come out of that hole sometime. You know what happened when the Japanese, the Japanese were, were hit with nuclear weapons that were, let me tell you, like one one hundredth as powerful as what we have now. They all got radiated. I'll tell you, I'd rather get hit in the head by the nuke and go to be with the Lord than to come up out of the ground and get radiated. It was horrible what those people went through. It was days and weeks of just, you know, it was instant deterioration. So this, these people think they're going to, you know, they're going to run to another place you know, to be able to escape this, I think they're delusional. I think that, again, it's nothing wrong with preparing physically. But, man, you better prepare your heart. Because you may prepare physically, and you may, you may have the food, you may have bullets, and you, you may have a heating system. But I'll tell you this, you may be left behind because you didn't prepare your heart to meet the Lord. You know, just, that's important I'll give you one final verse in Matthew chapter 24, 43 through 44. The Lord said, but know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore, you also be ready. For the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Notice the two things he says, watch and be ready. I think that, that's, where, that's where a major portion of our focus and our energy needs to be put right now. Get close to Jesus. Draw close to him. Know him. You got crap in your life. You got sin in your life. You got things that you've been playing with. You need to repent from them. And you need to turn to him. You need to take him into your heart as your Lord and Savior. And you need to start to cultivate that relationship with Him. And you need to come to know His love. And you need to begin to love Him. Because if you're trying to obey Him when you don't love Him, good luck. It is the love of God that compels us to obey God and live for God. So I just want to I just want to encourage you with that. And the first again, first of a series of messages that you'll hear on the Harpazo. I pray this before you leave here. Get your heart right with Jesus. And we're going to share communion. 
Always, before you go into communion, always examine yourselves. Right? Paul says that's why some of you are dealing with problems in your life and you're sick and some people have even died because they don't examine themselves coming to the Lord's table. So we're going to share the Lord's Supper here in just a moment. But just take a moment, just before you start looking around and getting distracted, just stop and close your eyes and look at your life. Ask the Holy Spirit to examine you. Am I right with God today? Has, have I been walking with Him? Are there things in my life that I need to be repenting from? Are there sins that I need to be confessing to Him and turning away from? Do I really love Him? If you would like, you can sit. If you would like, you can stand. If you would like, you can come to the altar and kneel. You know that you're, you're free to do that anytime you come here. You, you don't need to conform to what other people are doing around you. That's a dangerous thing. And we become a cult. Everybody conforms. Everybody looks the same. Everybody says the same thing. When you come to worship the Lord here, you can sit if everybody else is standing. You can clap. You can lift your hands. You don't have to. You know what God is more concerned with? He's concerned with your heart. Because Christianity is state of the heart, not state of the art. And worship, right, is not state of the art. It's state of the heart. God is concerned with this. So on that night, the Lord Jesus, he took the bread and he broke it. He gave it to his disciples and he said to them, take this all of you and eat this. He said, this is my body. Do this in remembrance of me. And in remembrance of our Lord's body. He gave himself for us. Laid his life down on that cross. His hands were nailed to it. His feet were nailed to it. And he hung there six hours that Friday for us. Remember what Jesus has done to you. Such an incredible price. Let us all partake. And then the Lord, he took the cup and he gave it to his disciples. He said to them, take this, all of you, and drink this. This is my blood, the blood of the new and everlasting covenant. He said, do this in remembrance of me. Let me say something to you. I never let a day go by where I do not thank Jesus for his blood. Never let a day go by. His grace was in the blood. And everything I have is because of his grace. His mercy was in the blood. Everything that I don't have was in the blood. His forgiveness is all. So as you partake today, make it a daily thing where you say, thank you, Jesus, for your very precious and immaculate blood. Let us all partake.
Thank you. The altars are open if you would like to come forward, seek him.